I was watching a, a late night TV clip the other day that was really kind of fun to watch. So the scene was the, the 50th Street subway station in New York City underneath Rockefeller Center. And there, they had, uh, there was a group that looked like about four or five guys that all looked like homeless people. And they walk up to a band set that's already been set up and they start playing. And at first they're not very good. They don't sound very good. And they get better and then people start crowding around them. And before long, they got a pretty decent sized crowd. They finish the first song and then they pull the wig off and it's Jimmy Fallon and Green Day. And um, then they get a big crowd and they have to have people around them. But anyway, it was, it was fun to watch as they went from unknowns, not very good, to being like, oh, we got something big happening here with all this stuff going on. And today's gospel reading today is not exactly like that, but it's got some parallels with what's going on. And um, what I'd like to do today is look at that passage and unpack it a little bit, but then I'd also like to bring it forward and uh, talk about some ways it possibly would be something for us to ponder today as we live out our, li our Christian journeys and live out our lives. And uh, as we begin to look at that, I wanna go back and look at it a little more. Um, I'm gonna be reading from the message translation. If you've ever seen that, I'm gonna go back and read some of that. And I wanna give a little bit of context and a little background. Now it's from Mark. And if you know, um, we've, we're picking up on the 21st chapter, uh, or 21st verse in the first chapter. And Mark is the fastest paced gospel that there is. I mean, things happen fast in there. So we're, we're at verse 21 starting this gospel reading today, but there's already a whole lot of stuff that's already happened. Cause we've already had John the Baptist on the scene. We've already had Jesus baptized. He's already gone out into the wilderness. He's begun to proclaim the good news. He's called the disciples and all of that. And we're at verse 21. So then that's where we're, we're picking up. And I think about the, the disciples at this point, they've given up all this stuff. They're following him. And I'm thinking that they're sitting there going, okay, now remind me again why we left everything to follow you. Or, or maybe they're having other practical thoughts. Like when, where are we going next? What's for lunch? I don't know. But I imagine they're thinking these kinds of things. And then we have this thing take place at the synagogue. And the synagogue is, you know, that, that was like the community center. It was like the community center for t learning for, and for teaching that's taking place. And they had this particular order of things there, right? There was the, the ruler of the synagogue who was over the whole thing to make sure the services went off and organized all, all those things. You had the distributor of alms who, guess what, distributed the alms. And then the chazan, I think it's called, that is, is the one who would make sure that scrolls got put away and put back and would blow the trumpet when it was time to meet and all this. And you look at the list of all the different people around the synagogue and you notice pretty fast, there's generally not a permanent, one permanent preacher. But there was a scholarly class that had come about, the, the scribes. And when one of those became really famous, they became a rabbi. But their way of teaching and when they were coming up to teach was very different because they would really get into, well, here's how you um, interpret this passage. And then they would really rely on other people. They would say, well, Rabbi Joe Blow says, blah, 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 or whatever like this. And so when Jesus gets up on this day, it's completely different because he's not doing any of that. Like he is speaking directly. He's saying what it means. He's not quoting other people or doing all this. And, he, and I could just imagine that scene for a minute, right? You've got people going, wow, okay. I mean, that was really good. He made that real. He was really speaking to me. Like you can imagine all the different stuff that people say. And we get the summary in, this, in the passage saying that like the people are amazed. 
So I'm going to read just that first little bit from, uh, again, the message translation. It says, then they entered Capernaum. When the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time in getting to the meeting place. He spent the day there teaching, and they were surprised at his teaching, so forthright, so confident, not quibbling and quoting like religion scholars. And, um, and then we kind of get to the, the next pivot because um, we have somebody that's in the pew, so to speak, and we're just figuratively, this is church, in the pew that maybe at first they started heckling a little bit, I don't know, got a little bit louder, but at some point they just flat out confront Jesus. And Jesus has to deal with this situation with whatever this is, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. And you're like, okay, what, what's going on with this scene? But you know, part of it too, and you look at what they say, you know, hey, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God and all this. And let's just for a second assume like this is the demon kind of a thing. There are kind of two different groups that would have dealt with that. One is people would look at what in magicians and exorcists are the kind of the two groups. And the magicians would, were thought to have some kind of connection with supernatural, but they would oftentimes try to invoke a name in order to get rid of whatever was happening in the spirit. And there are scholars who look at this passage and say, well, that's what the demons are doing here. They're trying to say, well, we know who you are. They're trying to kind of invoke a name to get Jesus to be under them. And that, of course, that doesn't work. And then the exorcist of the day would have done two different kinds of things. They typically would have tried to revolt the spirit by like doing things like hanging a smelly root underneath their neck or something like this to try to repulse the, the, the demon out. Or they would call on a higher spirit, a higher authority to, to get rid of the spirit. And Jesus doesn't do that. He does, again, it's his own authority that he's saying to get out. So listen to how that one's said in the message. Suddenly, while still in the meeting place, he was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out, what business do you have here with us, Jesus, Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. So you get, the, you get this passage going on with that. And I think it's, uh, you know, I do have to point out that the first place that Jesus encounters uh, a demon is in church. Just saying, you know, just saying. That's where he encounters this first one. And I think if we're not careful, though, at the same time, maybe that also, also is a hint about how we should look at this. Because I think when we hear demon, like, or unclean spirit or whatever, we have visions of the exorcist movie and split pea soup projectiles and, you know, and 360 head turns or whatever else. And I think this is somebody that for most of the day is probably just in the synagogue listening and learning. And then we don't know, okay, what goes on there? I'll say more, but you know, is it, a, is it schizophrenia? Is it some kind of breakdown? Is it epilepsy? Like we don't know exactly what all is going on there, but we get this exchange and Jesus looks into, the, into that situation and says, get out with authority. And, and it, again, it happens. Um, the way he does it, he shuts him up. This is the way the passage reads. He says, Jesus shut him up, quiet, get out of him. And the afflicting spirit threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, and he got out. And then we, the final part of the passage is, I think Mark tells this story, not only to get Jesus's authority and word and action, but to also explain how he, Jesus got famous so fast. And so we get that. And as the commentator William Barclay says, people are thunderstruck by the way Jesus handles this whole situation, the way he teaches, the way he does with all this. That's a retelling. And I think there's lots right there to ponder and think about and talk about at lunch. 
we could stop right there, but we got a whole bonus second half of the sermon to, to think about for a second about maybe some thoughts about what's this mean for us today? Like how would this play out? And I think when you look at that passage, there are three different pieces to it, right? There's Jesus speaking with authority and everybody's like, whoa. And then Jesus is driving out this unclean spirit. And people are looking at that. And then Jesus is getting famous. And I want to suggest that all three of those things still happen today, depending on how we want to look at things. And so I want to spend a minute just thinking about each of those today. And on this first one, my experience and my observation has been that anybody that lives a spiritual life sooner or later has a moment where it's not God that you're reading about, where it's not just words of a sacred text, but there is somewhere along that journey, somewhere there's a moment where you're like, oh, there's a voice behind that. There's authority there. And usually, I, I think it's usually often it's in scripture, but it's also in other places where people have God moments and God encounters where they're like, oh, and it changes everything. I think about, um, you know, all the very, very stories that people talk about. One of the famous ones um, that I think about was a guy that was complete wild child, you know, had his, um, had, had his child long before he ever thought about marriage. He um, did all this stuff, got into a cult, did all these different things, but his mom was a Christian, just kept praying for him, praying for him. And he got to a place where he wanted to learn more. He really got to a place where he wanted to believe, but couldn't. And then this is what he writes about what happens. He says, Suddenly I heard the voice of a boy or a girl, I don't know which, coming from the neighboring house, chanting over and over, pick up and read, pick it up and read. Thinking it was from possibly from the divine, he says, I, I quickly returned to the bench for there I had put down Paul's book and when I, where I'd left it. And I snatched it up and I opened it. And in silence I read the paragraph on which my eyes fell first. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts. I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to, for instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of a full certainty, and all the gloom and doubt vanished away. Like this moment. That you, some of y'all may recognize that. That's St. Augustine from the Confessions that he wrote. I think often we have those, those moments. And I know a, a bishop friend of mine who used to tell people who would come to him and say, I want to believe, but I, I, I don't really believe, I, like I'm struggling with this. His answer back to him was always, go read the New Testament for a month, more or less pretending you believe. His conviction was, as you did that, over the course of that month, starting with the Gospel of John, that you would encounter, you would hear that voice of authority of Jesus and be amazed. And so as we ponder that piece, I wonder just the question of how much opportunity we give for that to happen. Are we in the synagogue? Are we in the place of learning? Are we reading? What are we doing? But I think we still see this happens today. The, the second one I want to mention is actually the third one as we encountered them, but, but Jesus becomes famous. And I think that still happens today because I think when we, people have one of those God moments, when people encounter 
Christ and his authority and hear his voice and know he's real and whatever, it's just natural to say, man, I had this, I mean, I'm, we're not getting into deep evangelism, but just saying, man, I had this, I had this moment. I had this experience. Like it becomes very natural, I think, to, to share on that. I won't belabor that, but I think that Jesus's fame grows as we are open to encountering, encounter, and then we share it. Now, the final one of these is to talk about this unclean spirit. All right, this one may be a little, little harder for us to think about today. Again, we don't really know exactly what that was, whether it's some kind of possession or, as I said, schizophrenia or epilepsy or just some other kind of something or breakdown. But we get where whatever that is inside that man says, you know, what do you have to do with us? And I wonder what that us could be. And I wonder if we took it today, if we might think for a minute, could that us be all the broken pieces inside ourselves from different chapters and different places? Could the us be the little boy in this guy whose dad never had time for him? Or could it be the young person way back in his time who had to be perfect to get love? Or is it the man or the woman who had their baggage come into their relationship and it died? Or is the us, the man or the woman who loves their wine too much? Or the person who's never satisfied? Or the person who feels inadequate as a parent? And Jesus' teaching brings all that out. Or is it maybe that person, it's a person inside that holds on to the stuff from the past. Stuff they can't let go, things they messed up. Or the person who's gotten to a place where they feel they can never be loved not worthy of love, or the person who holds on to a betrayal, or the person who betrayed, who can't forgive themselves. And Jesus gets up and preaches some way that brings this stuff to the surface. And I, whether that's it or not, I don't know, but we all get to a place where I think if we're honest, we got at least some of those things going on, and we've learned to manage it. We put it off, we hide it, we stick it in the drawer, I'll deal with it someday. And as Jesus brings in light, maybe that stuff comes out. We've tried to deal with it, and maybe all we did was partition our life. We got this part of me over there, that part over there. And it comes with a price, because I think it can make it hard to have a full relationship with God or with one another. And we're so American and wanting to be, I got this. And it's something to be able to say, I I'm gonna be dependent on God, he's gonna heal this. And I look at the back of this passage and I wonder when, this, when Jesus says, get out, this guy convulses, coughs, falls to the ground, whatever he does, it's tough stuff. But I think Jesus healed this guy on that day, gets rid of that spirit, and he does that today. All these kinds of things we're, that we're talking about, and it's an ongoing process. Because we'll get to places where we got this one thing and we bring it to Jesus and say, I've got this spirit of whatever it is. And he says, he'll say, get out. And the Holy Spirit then turns around and says, well, we've got this other thing. And it's an ongoing process of bringing stuff to him where Jesus basically is saying, get out. And it goes on. And it's, it takes all kinds of different ways in the broken world. Um, I think about one story as we start to wind it up. But the, I was reading about one of the Marines who came back from Afghanistan who was um, struggling with this stuff. And one of the programs Walter Reed Hospital had for him was to use music in different kinds of ways. And they, at some point they did a concert that was at Madison Square Garden and they had people perform. And there's this one guy, Tim Donnelly, who had lost both legs, arm, 
all this kind of stuff, but still had his voice. And he was the lead singer of the group. And apparently his favorite song, best song that he would do was, was Leonard Cohen's Alleluia. And that song, as you know, has a, a, a line in it talking about the broken hallelujah and what that means for him. And after this thing was over, he, get, he got interviewed about it. And I want to read just what he said um, in thinking about this. He said that, I, I thought I understood that song, but the next thing you know, my whole life is coming down around my ears. Every dream, every hope I ever had for the future is broken around me. And I don't know where to turn. And it was at that place that God said, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I have what's best for you? And it was at that moment that I understood, hallelujah. I may be more whole now than I've ever been in my life. This stuff comes to the top and Jesus looks at it and maybe it comes in us and we say, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? And he says, be quiet. I got this. I love you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us and you, you never give up on us. And we live in a world where the reality is that we encounter brokenness out there and in us. Lord, we ask that you would speak into us and bring healing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.